Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Riel Perriard is an Ottawa-based outdoor and endurance enthusiast. He has participated in the Canadian Ski Marathon since 1991, taking part every year because it's an event that means so much to him personally and to the local outdoor community. Riel is currently the CSM president and with a team of volunteers helped guide the event through the pandemic years. Riel Perriard, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing awesome. Thank you for having me. It's great chatting with you again. I'm just laughing because we've known each other for a while, but I'm laughing because like you had a whole life of something more official before, you know, retiring. But you're like, are we debriefing afterwards? I'm like, you mean stop recording and having a quick chat? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, that's me. And I have a bad habit sometimes, you know, a professional life for 30 plus years. I've been retired for over 10 years. My God, I retired a little early, but I did it so I could spend more time outside while I was quote-unquote, young and healthy. And, and, you know, I've heard your other guests talk about Gatineau Park and the fact that we live in Ottawa is just such a treasure. And I wanted to spend more time outside. So, but yes, once in a while, I sound a little formal. Yeah, that's the goal. I'm excited for our debrief afterwards to go over our notes. We're here to talk about the Canadian Ski Marathon, but I do want to talk about how we met, your endurance athlete and trail running experience too. Our, our mutual friend, Harry, told me about this seminar that you were putting on at a local outdoor store here in Ottawa called Bushtaka on distance trail running and endurance. I want to talk about your background as an athlete and now what it looks like now that, that you're retired. It's actually excellent because the ski marathon kind of helped shape me as a trail runner as well. It was a big part of my life in my 30s and I, I kind of laugh. You know, you called me an athlete. That's a little bit funny. I think of myself as a, as a regular guy, but I, I do know that. BS. I call BS. You know, my, my, favorite, my favorite thing is I, I, I love running 100-mile races. That's like probably my favorite. I'm going to stop you for a second. Okay, you run 100-mile races and you're like, I'm just a normal guy. You are an athlete. I just wanted to like point that out. Sorry, I interrupted you. You're the guest. Go ahead. Yes. And I, and you know, and I, I, I kind of get that. But in terms of the ski marathon, you know, when I was in my early 30s, I had a friend. As a matter of fact, when I was 12 years old, 12, 13, my father, who was a Swiss immigrant, had a, a young Swiss friend who had also migrated to Canada, and he was probably in his mid-20s. And he, he did this thing in the 70s in the days of three-pin bindings, and, you know, skiing was a little bit different in the 70s than today with the equipment. And he did this thing called the Canadian Ski Marathon, and I had... So I'd heard of it. I'd fantasized about this thing. It seemed extraordinary that someone could possibly do this, right? And fast forward into the late 80s, early 90s, I met a friend, Ron Halka, who was skiing, you know, the, we'll talk a little bit about the details, but the gold ski marathon, the people that sleep outside. And uh, kind of motivated me to, to give it a shot. And, you know, people don't necessarily believe this, but I was a bit of a couch potato when I was younger. You know, I came from kind of regular team sports and I got an office job in Ottawa and I stopped being active a little bit. But I discovered the Canadian Ski Marathon and I started skiing in Gatineau Park, which is, this, you know, this treasure that we have in Ottawa. 
And it slowly kind of changed my outlook and changed my life and the way I behaved on a daily and weekly basis to develop better habits. And then suddenly, you know, 15 years go by, and I think that running 100 miles is kind of normal. <laughs> I realize it's not. It's not normal. So I haven't seen any of your, your running stuff lately. Obviously, it's winter. But what brought you to, you know, you're pretty much an expert now in running these, these endurance races. But what brought you to running 100-mile races, and what does that look like going into 2023 now that we're here? Again, in the, in the kind of the mid-90s, through the Canadian Ski Marathon, and, and my idea that I, if I could spend a long time outside, it's what, kind of what I like to do. You know, the longer I'm outside, the, the better it is. And uh, there was something quite popular on television called the Eco Challenge, which is a kind of expedition-style adventure racing, it was called. And there were races that would last you know, many, many days up to about, you know, six to 10 days long. I got involved in that in the late uh, 90s, early 2000s quite a bit. And I kind of, I kind of gained confidence in my ability to do long stuff. And as that sport was kind of exiting stage left, a lot of the folks there, it was kind of a natural extension uh, because in that sport, we spent a lot of time in nature, you know, whether it was canoeing, mountain biking, running through the bush with a map and compass. It was kind of natural. Ultra running hadn't really grown full-fledged into the popularity that it has today. You know, it was, I mean, YouTube existed, but it wasn't like it is today. And so I, you know, I gave it a shot. I went to a race in the, in the U.S. It was, I think it was an 80-kilometer run. And I realized that it was very similar to the ski marathon. You know, mo there's people that are at the front that are trying to win the thing. But for most people, it's kind of a, the outdoor experience where there's friendship, there's caring for each other. There's caring for nature, and you end up... Trying to survive. <laughs> trying to survive, exactly. And then you're moving through the course, you know, there's checkpoints where you get food and drink, and it's not like, uh, and you know, I totally appreciate that people enjoy running 10Ks on the road, and that's like an activity on its own. But it's a very different feel because you're a little bit less rushed through the whole process. You're not spending 45 minutes to an hour 15 on a course. You're spending many, many hours. And so people end up developing, you know, bonds and relationships. And there is this thing when you're outside in nature for a long time. And I mean, not that these things are hugely risky, but there's a it's different feel from, again, running, you know, in the city. The bonds that you create with people just end up being, they have a certain richness to them, I guess. And so that's kind of, I, you know, then I, I, I did this race in the U.S. And I, wow, that's really cool. If I could run 80, I could probably run 100. And if I could run 100, I could probably go a little more and you know, get to, what, 60 kilometers. And I was in the middle of my really busy high-tech career working with Harry, as a matter of fact. And I was, like, struggling with business travel and trying to train. And I was in a fortunate position where I could say, well, you know what, I'm going to pull the plug on this part of my life. And I want to make sure as I get to my very old age that I look back and say, you know what, I did get to run that 100-mile race. And the first thing I did when I retired is put down a spreadsheet plan the way that I do and signed up for Halliburton 100. And the rest is history, as they say. And I try to do one every year. 2022, I had a bit of an injury in 2022. And you asked me about 2023. Just a few days ago, I signed up for something called Fat Dog 120. I have a long history of trying to get into this race and having little mishaps. And I think finally, this will be the year. It's in British Columbia. It's uh, 200 kilometers. 8,000 meters of vertical gain. So it's a, it's a beast. 8,000 meters of climbing. 8,000 meters of elevation gain? So, okay, 
a very quick comparison what 8,000 meters is. 8,000 meters is about the height of Everest. Yes, exactly. And uh, until they change the course, yeah, it's kind of like going from sea level to the summit of Everest is about, you know, 8,700 meters. And this race, they changed the course because of uh, wildfires and stuff. But it used to be, they used to call it kind of the Everest thing. It had an 87, they used to have 8,700 meters of climbing before. So now it's easy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm thinking, yeah, I'll be all right because it's uh, they took off a thousand, so I'll be good. There's a lot of things that I want to pull from what what you just talked about. We do want to talk about the CSM, but you know, I want to talk about like running those kind of those distances, whether it's running or skiing or whatever that is. But when you mentioned about forming bonds with people, and I totally under there's something about I think that's why you and I are kindred spirits because we get it. I think that's why we get along so well. But anytime I've done like longer hikes, it could even just be like a full day hike in the Adirondacks or even just like a quick hike and get in a park or whether, you know, it's Kilimanjaro, whatever it is, you form bonds with those people. And there's something so intimate about sharing time in nature that's uninterrupted by technology that bonds you for life. Can you dive a little bit into that? Because I kind of just described it, but how do you look at it? You kind of said it well. It's the... um you know, if you spend time at a coffee shop with someone and someone becomes your friend and, you know, and that's great, you can find, you know, you find something in common, you end up having a lifelong, you know, relationships with people from your daily life, from your professional life. There's no doubt about that. You know, now cell phones are, of course, they're, they're everywhere now and they, your ability to call 911 is a lot more than what it used to be, no matter where you are in the world almost. But it's not like being on a street corner or in a coffee shop. And when you're spending time with people and you know that you, you have a, a level that you rely on each other that is beyond, are you going to be at the coffee shop at 10 o'clock or are you going to be late? It's a little bit beyond that. It's, I'm going to need your help maybe. We're going to spend many hours, maybe, maybe many days outside where we're going to rely on each other. And we may not talk about it that way, but it ends up happening. One of my very good friends, uh, Dave, that I do a lot of crazy stuff with, He's a little bit younger than me. I first met him again in high tech, you know, in the Nortel days. I was kind of seeing that I was getting along with him. I said, let's go do a hike together. And I was always looking for people, you know, to do stuff with that were okay with being very uncomfortable physically in the outdoors. And I brought him on a hike in the Adirondacks that was literally, it was about a 19 or 15 hour hike. And it was pouring rain the entire time. It was like so miserable. And I had never done anything with this guy before. And that's, this is what I brought him to the very first time we go do something. And the entire time, you know, he never, he never said anything about the weather. And we just, we had a fabulous time together. And then I just realized I had a, you know, a lifelong friend here. <laughs> I have someone who's really comfortable with being uncomfortable physically outside. And we've done this thing together where, you know, we had this the kind of shared adventure and I don't want to say misery, but, you know, some of it was uncomfortable. And, it, you know, today we're, you know, now as he has kids and stuff, it's like decades later. And we have a closeness that I think is, you know, a little bit richer than what it could have been if I'd only been his friends through work and through having a coffee together at the coffee station at the office kind of thing. I like how we both mutually test friendships by bringing people to the Adirondacks. <laughs> <laughs> the other one that is like, it should be called Friendship Testing Ground. <laughs> we need to make t-shirts for that. That's the thing is like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm doing the 46, which is the 46 highest peaks in the Adirondacks. I'm sure you've probably done them all or most of them. But the only ones I have left are like 10 to 15 hour hikes. And I don't want to do them alone. I've done a lot of them alone, but I don't want to do the rest of them really alone. And I'm like, okay, who would want to do this? With? Like the list gets shorter and shorter. <laughs> 
I'm like, do I even want to do this? But yeah, that goes back to the bonding moments. But Adirondacks. Congrats on setting that goal, by the way, because, you know, it's not a goal. I mean, you know, there are some extreme athletes who try to do it in two years kind of thing, but it is a life, you know, it is a many year goal, right? It takes quite a while to do this and the level of commitment and to the outdoors. And so congrats on setting that up. That's, that's awesome. Well, I had this grand goal of getting it done in a few years and then COVID happened. And now I'm like, I'm going to take my time. And that's the thing is, I think COVID taught a lot of us just to enjoy nature so much more and spending time outside. When it comes to those long endurance runs or the CSM, number one, I want to talk about the mental side of it, first of all. What do you tell yourself through those harder moments? Do you have any kind of mantras? And secondly, what are the biggest things that you've taken out of endurance athletic feats that go into your daily life? One of my mantra is smile. And I practice, you know, they say you, you know, you become a better runner and a better skier by skiing more and running more. But you become better through adversity by practicing positive attitude. I mean, that is something you can practice to a certain extent. And I know, you know, some people are wired to be more, you know, optimistic than, than others. But when we go through these, through these rough moments physically and, and emotionally and everything and intellectually, you know, they always talk, there's studies about when you smile, it does physically help you with what's released in your body. And I, I do literally, if I'm running in Gatineau Park and it's raining and it's miserable, you know, I, I actually do physically smile and I go, oh yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. And one of the things I always, always remind myself is about, you know, perspective. To remember that, you know, you spent all these years wanting to be there. Let's say I'm running a hundred mile in Flat Dog next year and there's going to be really difficult moments, I'm sure of it. But yet it's been a big dream of mine to do this. And so I almost want to say, how dare I be unhappy when, you know, I'm getting what I signed up for. You literally signed up for it. It wasn't, it's not just metaphorical. You actually signed up for it. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you signed up for it. I paid money. I, I saved up some money so I can get on a flight and I could travel there. And then, you know, it's going to be difficult and I'm going to be unhappy. That doesn't sound really reasonable to me. I remember in the days, in my earlier days, especially when I was working, in a, you know, in a, in a desk job, and I was adventure racing, I was kind of remembering the kind of the understanding of why you do things and what your goals are. You know, they talk about that in the business world, have clarity on your goals and who you are. And in a subtle fashion, when you have clarity, when you do things that, are, that make you very tired and very weak and, you know, very difficult. It helps you have clarity in, in many different aspects of your life. And when you have clarity and you know who you are, it helps you in your daily life tackling, you know, difficulties. I'm kind of a big fan of that. And I'm convinced it does. That's probably the biggest way is uh, having clarity on who you are and then remembering that, you know, when your daily life doesn't go so well, that you do, you know, you get through moments at the micro level. You can also get through moments at the macro level that have more to do with, you know, the difficulties that, that you're having in, in your daily life. And a big part of being physically active and of being physically capable is the benefits to mental health. And, you know, the outdoors, nature, I'm a big proponent of this. The more in touch you are with the real world, not stuff that's on a TV screen or on an Instagram account or whatever it might be, it's just hugely beneficial because we are at the core, you know, real people that exist in the physical world and feel the environment and feel the rain and the snow and the cold and the heat. Speaking of difficulties, you've been through some injuries. I think if you're an athlete or you love spending time outside, you are going to get hurt. It's just, I think it's bound to happen. How are you feeling now? I know that you're just getting over an illness, actually. But can you describe maybe a couple of those injuries and how you overcame them 
and how you plan to deal with them, especially training for Fat Dog? The two big things when I took up distance running and I started to run, you know, I was like everyone else, I would run three, four times a week at lunchtime at the office. I would run five to eight kilometers. Once in a while, I would throw in some long runs and decide to do the Ottawa Marathon, and I've run, you know, the Ottawa Marathon a few times. Then when I got into the longer distances and I got a bit more serious about my training, and I'm, I'm someone, I'm not like super competitive, but I mean, I'm a little bit competitive. I train probably, a, you know, a bit more seriously than most. I understand that. Plus, I'm retired, so kind of why I retired, you know, I have, I have the time. So I, I run a fair bit. I had an issue with the hip that was genetic that I didn't know I had. And so my history with Fat Dog is I was supposed to go in 2015. How long ago was that, right? That's like eight years. That's crazy. And as I was training for it, I tore the labrum inside my hip because I had a, my leg bone was too big for my hip socket. And it was something that I had. I often thought it was a groin issue. It was misdiagnosed. But finally, in 2015, I needed surgery. And you talk about, you know, I was injured. They kind of told me that maybe running was something that was good. You know, I could not run anymore. I could take up cycling. And I love cycling. But, you know, I wanted to be a long-distance runner. And they told me I would never be able to run again. I found a surgeon, you know, that was willing to do the surgery. Some other surgeons thought I was too old. And you talk about the focus when, when people, or not people, but doctors, and, and the situation that you have is like, it's almost taken away from you. And then suddenly you realize that maybe if I work hard, I could still run. And, you know, and I love running on trails and running in the wilderness. And so I, I did a lot of work to overcome that. And then I did some, some more 100-mile races. But when it was, I found was something that almost gets taken away from you after that, going on a run on a cold, rainy day didn't seem so bad because it was like, yeah, you, you know, I would have loved to be able to run six months ago when I couldn't. So I, I kind of went through that phase and kind of figured things out about my body and how to be a long distance runner. And then I kept going. I'm in my early 60s. So, you know, I'm a little bit older. <laughs> and then last year, just kind of a freak accident. I fell cross country skiing while doing the Canadian Ski Marathon. I tore my MCL, which is like the outside ligament on your knee. And again, the first, the initial news were very negative about torn meniscus, ACL, you'll never run again kind of thing. I ended up being quite fortunate in that it was only a torn MCL and no surgery was required. But I spent basically, I was supposed to do a 200 kilometer and a 400 kilometer race this year, uh, sorry, in 2022. Again, that was all taken away because of the injury. I spent an entire summer doing rehab. And again, I, you know, I, I don't believe I'm, I realize that one day I won't be able to run those distances that will happen to me, but I'm, I'm not quite there yet. And I have a few more good years. And so I, I just was not willing to kind of give up the dream. And so I spent the entire summer, like very committed to my rehab and I have a good physiotherapist. So I get a lot of nice help from local people in Ottawa that understand, you know, the body of athletes. Ottawa is a great place to live when you want to be a runner or a cyclist or whatever. So I've, I've gone through the process, and sadly I got sick in December, so that's kind of put me back a little bit. But I'm very methodical with my running, and, and I you know I've been running through, I was able to start running seriously in October. The MCL tear was in February. But now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get, this is just a bad flu, it's just kind of bad luck. How are the things going around right now? <laughs> yes, I know, it was just like, it was like three weeks of zero activity, like on the couch and sitting in my living room you know, watching too much TV and not able to do even my, I couldn't even do my physio. So it was kind of awful. But then, you know, the, I got the emails from Fat Dog saying, you have four days left to use your uh, deferral. <laughs> and that kind of, you know, lit a fire under my butt. I thought, okay, well, I really want to do Fat Dog. I really want to do the Canadian Ski Marathon again. 
So I'm going to get ready. I'm going to pull out my spreadsheet and, you know, I'll be running. And <laughs> When in doubt, pull out a spreadsheet. Positive attitude and spreadsheets. Yes, you got it. I owe a lot to Excel. It controls my life. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. I would give a lot of what you've achieved to your attitude straight up, by the way. I want to give you a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I I think so. Because I'm, you know, it's easy for folks to assume that I'm physically gifted or whatever, but I'm I'm a regular guy, you know, a guy with a desk job. And the biggest thing is to keep at it and to be regular and to try not to have too many months, you know, sometimes with job and family, like life happens. But to just being physically active on a continual basis, I think it really helps the aging process. I want to dive into the CSM, but very quick, I quickly want to mention that now we're at the start of 2023. And one of my biggest, I don't want to say goals or or anything for this year, but something that I've taken from athletics is that just small, consistent efforts, both in, you know, I'm I'm an entrepreneur now too, and just trying to find balance between both of those things. So small, consistent efforts in both my work and what I do for a living, but also in athletics. And I think it's a lot more manageable. It's instead of me being like, I'm going to do these big things, I'm going to go for like eight hours skiing. I've just decided that like a 45 minute ski on a Tuesday, that way I can still get work done is a lot more manageable than like, I found that I make these huge lofty goals and then I feel disappointed. So this year is all about consistency and smaller chunks of of effort. Well said. I, I think that's a huge part of it. I have to say, generally, you're a pretty smart cookie. (laughs) You know, I've listened to your other podcasts, and it's been kind of fun, like the way that you talk about physical activity combined with the outdoors and the perspective that you bring out of your guests. It's been kind of fun to listen to your podcasts and listen to you talk about Gatineau Park and what it does for, you know, for a population and stuff. It's great. I, I love it. It's great. Thank you, first of all. And I think I've said this before, but this podcast started as a, like, I feel like it's my heart outside of my body, just like in a creative effort. And now that we have great sponsors on too, it's been super cool to kind of see it evolve and people become attached to it and building an audience. So 
I feel like talking about the podcast on the podcast is a little bit, a little bit meta. <laughs> the chair of Nordic Canada, Ted Khalil, was uh, one of my recent guests who's done the CSM, but you've been doing it for a very long time. What, so what is the Canadian Ski Marathon? How many gold, silver, bronzes do you have? Let's start with that. This will be my 33rd consecutive year, which is what I just cannot believe it. I have not missed a year. <laughs> That's how old I am, or almost as old as I am. That is insane. I think you're so young. So it is insane. And, you know, I can talk about the Canadian Ski Marathon for the next two hours, so we'll be careful. My first, first time I did my gold, it was 1993. I got to gold camp, and I will not embarrass to say I had some, some ski equipment issues. Not that I'm a great skier now, because in, in, a, in a context of cross-country skiing and people that race, Ted touched a bit about that on his podcast. You know, I'm not a technically fabulous skier, but I'm, you know, I'm competent now, obviously. But in the early 90s, I was not. I got to gold camp, kind of, I was there last. There was a gentleman that was at the fire with me. I was sleeping outside right by a fire. There was a gentleman who was there for his fifth gold, is what we say. And at five golds, you get your bib number retired, and they give you your own bib number. So it's kind of a big honor. It's a big deal. It takes typically, you know, a good 10 years to achieve that. And I sat across from him and I thought, I won't swear on your podcast, but I thought, like, golly gee, what did this guy just do? He did this five times. This is impossible. <laughs> and so there, there I am today and I've got, you asked me, I think I have 28 goals, I believe. So in the Canadian Ski Marathon, so I'm, you know, I'm probably in the top 10 or something. And what go- can you describe what gold is very quickly? There's two categories, typically. There's more than two categories, but there's kind of two branches. One of them is called Coureur des Bois. And they're the people that try to ski the entire 160 kilometer in two days, 80 kilometers each day. And it's kind of progressive, especially like in today's world, a lot of people can go and and ski and do their gold and ski with a pack like right away. But it wasn't the case in the 70s and the 80s. The equipment and the trail were much more challenging than, you know, than what it is today. And so they would ask you to ski the bronze, which was basically you could just have a little fanny pack. And you would use the trail mix and the liquids that they have at checkpoints to feed yourself through the, the, two, you know, the two days. And you would ski for about 10 hours a day. Once you'd shown that you could do this, the next year you would be able to sign up for the silver. And the goal of skiing the silver was to prepare you for doing the gold. And so the difference is, in the silver you would do the same thing, but you had to carry a, a pack with shoulder straps of a certain minimum weight, which is 5 kilograms. 5 kilograms, 11, 12 pounds, it's pretty easy to ski with a pack that's 11 pounds. That's not a lot of weight. But it would kind of prepare you for the, ah, now I could do this. And then if you had completed that, you would be allowed to ski for what's called the gold with a pack with the same minimum weight. But realistically, no one skis with a 5 kilogram pack. If they're doing the gold, they typically have, you know, 20 pounds or so of a pack. And the difference there is you're meant to be, to a certain extent, self-sufficient. You have to carry your clothing and your food and your sleeping bag. And on the Saturday night, you go to a place called Gold Camp or Camp Belanger. It's uh, also got a name after one of the original farm owners where we used to eat. The gentleman's passed away and we've named the camp after him. You know, in the old days, there would be 80 or 90 people. Now there's maybe 200 people at Gold Camp, 150 to 200 and you have to be self-sufficient. You have your food, you have a fire. They provide you with water and a bale of hay to sleep on. A bale of hay so that you can put your sleeping bag on that and have insulation from the ground. So you don't have tents, right? You just carry your sleeping bag? 
you know, most people don't have tents. There's maybe like 2% of the people that decide to have a tiny, tiny, lightweight tent, but most people don't. In the middle of winter, right? Just like it's like in February. In the middle, it's second weekend of February. The temperatures, you know, I have seen an annoying night of like plus two with rain. And that's like, I'd much rather have minus 20 <laughs> than that. Rather be dry, rather be dry and cold than wet. Yeah. I'd rather be dry and cold and makes the next day a little bit easier. So you basically spend your, your evening and preparing your food and drying your clothing and preparing yourself for, you get up at four in the morning on the Sunday and you start the process again. You get up at four and you leave at like quarter to six and you ski another 80 kilometers the next day. So to summarize this, so gold, which you have to achieve bronze and silver. So gold is skiing 80 kilometers, totally self-sufficient. You sleep on a bale of hay with a sleeping bag. They just provide you water, everything else you carry. And you ski 80 kilometers the next day? Correct. That, that, that's pretty well it. Okay. And then silver, you carry a bag, ski the same distance, but do you, are you able to like sleep in a hotel? Are you able to like... Yeah, exactly. The bronze and silver folks will sleep. Uh, we provide accommodations at a local high school. That's like a lower cost option, but people use Airbnb and hotels. Some people go to Chateau Montebello, where it's you know, much more luxurious, of course, depending on what you want to spend and how you want to spend your weekend. But the bronze and silver people and a bunch of other people will sleep at the local facilities. And then, you know, we have a, a bus system that is top-notch where, like, it's really well where This has been going on since 1967, so it's smooth operation. We have, like, a shuttle bus system that brings people from various parts of the Montebello region to the start line. So if people aren't crazy, there are some other, <laughs> there are some other options. <laughs> yes, and so that's, uh, I, I'm glad we're digressing to that a little bit because, you know, Ted did a good job. I was thinking about how do, I, how do I talk about this, and I thought of the, the Ottawa Race Weekend. We know what the Ottawa Race Weekend, a lot of other big cities in North America have, you know, a big weekend of running in the summer. There'll be 10K races, 5K races, maybe a half marathon and a marathon. And because they're called Race Weekend, people kind of decide what they want to do, and they, you know, there's a variety of people that like running and do different kind of distances. The Canadian Ski Marathon... Part of the issue is that we call it the Canadian Ski Marathon, and people always want to think about the extreme things that they see going on, and it becomes the definition of the event. And we, we struggle with that a bit because people automatically say, well, I don't want to go do the Canadian Ski Marathon because that's for the crazies, and it's like insanely difficult. The truth of it is, if we have 1,500 skiers, probably less than half are doing the, the entire distance. And the beauty of the Canadian Ski Marathon, I think why it's, it's such an amazing event, is it really brings together lovers of the outdoors. It's not a race, it's not a timed event. We refuse to publish times, even though now, you know, we have the technology, obviously, to publish who came in first, second, or third. But we refuse to do that because we don't want to affect the behaviors and kind of the culture of the event. And so when you ski... There are people, you know, in their 80s that are on the trail. There are little children that are on the trail. And about more than half of them do other categories that have nothing to do with skiing, you know, the entire thing. And we have, we have a taster category, which is the last section of each day. It's relatively inexpensive, around $45. And it's for people that just want to have a taste of it. That's why I call the CSM taster. And they ski about 12 to 15 kilometers each day. I don't have classic skis yet. I'm supposed to pick some up soon from Eurosports. But I feel like I might do the taster, maybe? You should. It's $45, and you could go one day or two days. It's up to you. 
you know, Ottawa is relatively close to, to Montebello, so there's different ways of doing it. You could drive there to each day if you wanted to. And you kind of see the atmosphere and the mood, you know, so that's kind of a, the CSM Taster was invented exactly for that reason, for people to come and see what it's like. There's something called a half marathon, which is the last three sections of each day. That's roughly 45 kilometers. And the people that sign up for the half marathon are folks who they might aspire to do the Coeur de Bois category one day, and they want to kind of experience, you know, we, we delay their start, so they have a bit of stress about being able to finish on time, that kind of thing, and it's an exposure to what the Coeur de Bois thing is like. Now, the, the touring section is the life and blood of the ski marathon, really. And that's where all the families and the youth and the people that are, you know, in their 80s, they're the bulk of the skiers. And they ski. We have an awesome shuttle bus system. You basically decide what you want to do each day, Saturday or then Sunday. And you'll say, I'll do these two sections. I'll do these three, these four. I'll do only this section. And you basically, you get taken to the start line of what you what you've selected. And wherever you finish, we then bring you back to, you know, Montebello, Papineauville, wherever your car happens to be. So it's really, it's really superbly organized. And then we have this cool, we have, uh, there's a, a local legend, the Weber family. People, not one might know who they are, Olympic skiers, and they're prominent in the Nacrotoc region, obviously. We have something called the Weber Award, which I really want to mention. So people who are, quote unquote, regular participants who go to the touring category, over the years, they are accumulating sections. And the ski marathon is, uh, we always talk about how many sections did you ski as opposed to how many kilometers did you ski. In the course of, you know, if they're committed in about 10 years, they'll have skied 50 sections. And at 50 sections, they get their own bib number the same way that the goal guys and gals get their own bib numbers. So it's kind of a cool thing. They have a pink bib the same way that we have a gold bib. We have a pink bib and it's named after the Webbers. And so somebody who skied, you know, over 10, 12, 15 years, they've skied 50 sections at the ski marathon, they get their own number. And uh, that's kind of a cool kind of recognition that you're someone who participates a lot. And it's kind of in keeping with, you know, the culture of the ski marathon. It's about participation and it's about being out there. And the, the behavior on the trail is very friendly. You know, nobody else track when they're coming up behind you because it's not, it doesn't have like a race kind of feel. It's a beautiful trail, 160 kilometers. You can only access it once a year. You know, it, is, it goes through private lands quite a bit. And this year we're skiing from the, just south, Arundel, which is south of Mont Tremblant, south towards Montebello. And then we're turning right, going west to Buckingham. And each day is 80 kilometers. And one more thing I want to mention quickly, if people aren't in the region, if maybe they're across Canada or in, in the U.S., there's something called the Canadian Ski Challenge too, right? Yes, yes, thank you. So, you know, the, the pandemic was, of course, a terrible thing. One of the nice things that it's brought is more people are going outside than before. Work in a local ski shop in Bushtaka, and we see a lot of the amount of people coming in to buy skis. And also with skin skis now, are, it's such phenomenal technology. It makes skiing accessible and available to so many people that before they would look at waxing and, you know, it's just a pain in the butt and it's a mystery if you're a novice. But skin skis work so well. So more and more people are cross-country skiing. When we did the usual virtual event during the pandemic, we were surprised how popular skiing was. And so many people asked us, because now, now that we're having an in-situ event again, you know, there's no virtual Canadian ski marathon. But people are saying, how do I participate? And, and how, could you, how could I still be part of this if I live in another city? I don't want to bother traveling. So we created something called the Canadian Ski Challenge. 
It's patterned a little bit after the ski marathon in terms of culture and feel. Basically, from January 1st, I can't remember the end date, but it's basically the entire winter. I think it's in March sometime. Yeah, in March sometime. Wherever you are in North America, around the world, you, I think it's a $49 fee. We send you a buff, we send you a badge. And you basically ski outings of either 15 kilometers or 50 kilometers. And we have a very easy to use, uh, you submit your results online. It's the honor system, basically. And I don't remember by heart the level of awards, but if you ski so many 15 kilometer sections during the winter, you get a bronze, silver, gold, a little bit like the ski marathon. And then we have something else for the people who, you know, are capable of skiing 50 kilometers. It's a different award. And they could ski, you know, one, two, three, ten, fifty kilometer sections during the winter. And they get another award that's bronze, silver, and gold. And so it's just kind of meant to emphasize cross-country skiing and participation. And it's free for kids. I forget the age, but we made it free for kids. Lots of options. If people want to sign up, just go to CanadianSkiMarathon.ca. SkiMarathon.ca. And I I will say, if if folks have been on that website, so we used to have a pretty uh, arcane website. We've just redesigned it and redeveloped it and relaunched it this past fall. Like a lot of technology-based things, though, it's been a little bit painful and a little bit slow. But as of now, it's in pretty good shape. There's more, like a couple of months ago, there was some information missing. But they can go there. There's an email address called info at skimarathon.ca. That's on the website. You can send and ask your questions, and we put you in touch with people like me that know the event quite well, and you know try to help. You know, it's a it's more complicated than running a 10k. You know, it's it's a bit more of a complicated event, so you have to kind of help guide people that are new to the event, and like where do I stay? How do I do this? And, and we have some some webinars that we've posted on YouTube about how to do the event. I'm looking forward to potentially tasting it with a. T- I don't know. We'll we'll see we'll see how uh, we'll see how the season goes. But it's something I'm interested in for sure. I'm doing the Gatineau Lop, but I'm just doing the, the 10K skate, which is the weekend after. But I will be sure to ask you some questions if I'm... Marianne, you are going to do the CSM Taster. I'm paying for your entry if I have to. I'll bribe you. <laughs> okay, we'll chat. We'll chat. In our debrief, we're going to chat. <laughs> Riel, thank you so much for nerding out about nature with me and filling us in more about the CSM and always love chatting with you. Yes, thank you for having me and love what you're doing. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.